In scripture, milk and honey have always represented the promised land, the promises of God, the abundance of God. And when you get to the first century at the early church, when people were baptized, they often had a meal with honey and milk to welcome people into the kingdom. And that is a, a beautiful picture of celebrating the life that we have in Christ. We're going to look at some things from that first century today and compare it to today and a couple things from the second and third century as well to understand, again, the inheritance, the history that we have as believers in Christ and to recognize that just like things are changing constantly today in that first century when Jesus died and rose again, things were going through massive changes. And the challenge is to hold on to that promised land life, no matter what takes place around us. You know, in first century Rome, something happened that changed nations. They built 50,000 miles of roads, almost a quarter million side roads. And what that did, that opened up safe travel from community to community and from country to country. It was a fulfillment that the gospel would go into all the world because the disciples would then begin to travel country to country. Paul went to several countries around Rome. And so opening up the roadways, Rome did that and they put guards on the, on the roads so people could safely travel. You know, these roads were paved with stone 15 to 20 feet across. And prior to this, it was very difficult to travel and you might run into bandits and people steal all of your belongings. And now Rome put together this civilization with streets where you could travel from place to place. Again, a fulfillment of what Jesus talked about. Scripture said the gospel would go out into all the world. Justo Gonzalez said this, History reminds us that the presence of God among us didn't end with the ascension of Jesus. You know, looking back a few weeks now since Easter, as we talked about the resurrection of Christ, the important picture, yes, he conquered death, the grave and hell and sin, but he also set in motion this body of Christ, the church, and there's an outcome that the world is heading to when all things shall be made new again. And so if you go to Hebrews chapter one, first two chapters says in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. That's the Old Testament. Prophets like Elijah, Moses, Noah, King David. The writer goes on to say this though, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Here's the key, whom he appointed heir of all things. You know, when Jesus rose, the picture is he is the heir of all things. Yes, he conquered death, but ultimately history is moving to a certain direction and as has been well said, there's not one inch of heaven or earth that Christ and Satan are not in battle because the kingdom of darkness cannot overcome that kingdom of light. And so Jesus, he is the heir of all things. And for those of us who believe that he is that living Christ, that word itself, Christ, means anointed. In Hebrew, the word is Messiah also means anointed. So Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, sometimes you read in the New Testament. Other times it's Jesus the Christ. Both those words mean anointed. Anointed means the king. When a king was crowned, there'd be a public ceremony. They would anoint the king's head with oil. And so Jesus is the anointed Messiah, the king, we would say the king of kings. And because of that, 
we should live our lives differently as princes and princesses in that kingdom called to participate with him. Again, what is the prayer? We'll see here in just a moment a little bit more on that, but it's to pray what? Kingdom come will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's look at Acts chapter 1. A few days after Jesus ascended, this is what Luke would write, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Luke is referring to the gospel he had written. So he writes the book of Acts. He also writes the gospel of Luke. And so at the beginning of Acts, he says, I've written about what Jesus taught and did. Jesus, our model. He is the model of our faith. He is the one, what he says we are to do. We're going to take a look at how that looked in that first century, how it looks today. Both times going through great changes, rapid changes, a lot of uncertainty. However, our faith is called to be based on what? Christ, the heir of all things, that he is the king. That doesn't change. So therefore, our faith should be steadfast. However, let's look at that first century and consider a few things because Jesus rose and gave birth then to the church, the body of Christ. And that's what the book of Acts is about. In Luke chapter 3, we read about Tiberius Caesar. Tiberius Caesar would reign throughout most of the life of Jesus. He would be the emperor of Rome. Jesus would have been a teenager when Tiberius began to reign. Tiberius would reign about four or five years after the crucifixion of Christ. So the whole time Jesus was alive just about, Tiberius was the emperor. Tiberius was married to Agrippina. When he was displeased with her, he sentenced her to isolation on an island to die. The key here, though, is when he died, her children, they would do battle for the throne. All of them would die except for the one who lived. That man's name was Caligula, one of the most evil men in all of history. It's no coincidence Jesus would die and rise again in that first century. Suddenly, some of the most evil leaders would show up. What is Satan trying to do? Stop that church. Stop the body. What did Jesus say? The gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. The gospel goes forth kingdom come, and it's going to happen. All things shall be made new. Caligula did something very interesting. He's the first emperor to demand to be worshipped as God. What that meant was you were brought before him, and you would kneel, declare him God, make an offering. If he didn't, you would be tortured, maybe executed. We'll see what happened to some of those people that faced that very thing. Caligula himself took the throne just a few years after Jesus ascended. So he's the emperor for a long time when then the disciples are ministering there at the time of the book of Acts. Caligula, though, would destroy his entire family except for a favorite uncle. And when Caligula was executed himself, that favorite uncle named Claudius became emperor. And Claudius would marry his niece and adopt her son, which meant that son would then take the throne. And that man's name was Nero. The New Testament simply refers to him as 
the beast. One of the most wicked men, if not the most wicked man to ever live in history. Lunatic, demon-possessed, evil, tortured, killed people for fun, just did ruthless things. He killed some of the apostles. All of this taking place in that first century. Here's the key, though. One of these people, Ignatius, he was a disciple and friend of John, facing all this persecution as well. However, he wrote this. Jesus Christ was truly born, ate and drank. He was truly persecuted under Pontius Pilate. He was truly crucified and truly died. Here's the key. He was also truly raised from the dead. Ignatius would die for that proclamation of his faith. But again, he believed in the king, the anointed Christ, and therefore he stood steadfast even in the midst of persecution. Fascinating article here a couple weeks ago, meal preparation in America. In 1900, it took 44 hours per week to prepare food for a family, 44 hours. In 1950, it took 20 hours per week to prepare food for a family. Today, under 10 hours we have found shortcuts to just about everything. The challenge, though, is not to get caught up in things moving so rapidly that we allow our faith to take second place. 44% of money a family spends for food is spent at restaurants. Again, our culture moves so fast, and we found ways to do things even faster. What do we do, though, with that extra time? Do we stop and slow down and moment-to-moment daily pray Give us this, our daily bread. Here's two things that early church did. Of course, we are to have prayer at the center of our lives, but they would fast on Wednesday and Friday. Now, maybe that's not something you feel led to do, but perhaps you can take Wednesday and Friday and fast for a meal. Put that time to scripture and prayer and silently listening to that still small voice. Another thing they did is they prayed the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Morning, noon, and night. And again, the prayer is what? Kingdom come will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's one of the keys of what Jesus taught throughout his ministry. We'll see that here again. Acts chapter 2, or Acts chapter 1, verse 2 continues after suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Perhaps the greatest proof that Christ lives is the changed lives by the millions and millions and millions. I love this picture here by C.S. Lewis. And he himself said, you know, this helped change his life when he began to believe that God existed. Essentially, he says, you know, there are things we all know are right and wrong. Why do we know that? There must be a reason behind that. There must be a reason these are universal laws There must be a lawgiver. Here's what he wrote. Think of a country where people are admired for running away from battle or where a man felt proud of double-crossing his friends. Men may differ in regards to what people you ought to be unselfish to, but they have always agreed you ought not put yourself first. And here's the key. Selfishness has never been admired. For Lewis, as he studied that there are things we know are right and wrong, again, this is one of the ways that he himself came to believe in God. Why do we all know selfishness is not to be admired? What is it within us that recognizes that? Scripture would say God has put eternity in our hearts. 
But going back to that first century, things were much different than as far as persecution. You know, today we consider persecution things that make our faith inconvenient. And it's an offense to the cross. We need to be about living our life to say whether it's easy, hard, convenient, inconvenient, I'm going to follow after him because he is the king. But imagine going back to that first century. Kneel before the emperor, renounce your faith in Christ, and make an offering to declare the emperor as God. There were believers who did that very thing. They were known as lapsi. They lapsed in their faith when things got difficult. There was another group that refused to bow to the emperor. They became known as confessors, like Paul in Galatians when he says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He meant that literally. He had been beaten and whipped many, many times. He bore physically the marks of Christ. People who had refused to renounce their faith, some were executed, many were tortured. They bore the marks on their body, the scars of that They were known as confessors. When these two groups then, after the persecution ended, the lapsi people came back and said, I want to renew my faith in Christ. But their lapse in faith caused tremendous hurt and tremendous pain. And it caused a lot of separation. Because those who were confessors that refused to bow and took the beatings struggled on how to then worship alongside people. They walked out when things got difficult. We live in a culture today where many, many people talk about their belief in Jesus. We need to move far beyond a belief to say, you know what? He is my life. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. I will serve him whether it's easy, hard, popular, unpopular, convenient, inconvenient, whatever it may be. Let us then proclaim that, yes, he is the anointed, the king, and live differently. Acts 1, verse 3, as we conclude with this chapter here of Acts, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. He spoke about the kingdom of God. That is a very broad topic, but essentially the kingdom of God is that prayer on earth as it is in heaven moving to a conclusion in history where he will make all things new, where there will be no more death, grief, pain, sorrow. But he reigns now, and that kingdom is expanding, and he calls us to be a part of that kingdom to reign with him by holiness, by obedience, by spreading the gospel, by living like he calls us to live, the kingdom of God. The kingdom is our calling. But does that move us today? Again, in a culture where people have lax commitments, does it move us today when there's so many distractions and so many shortcuts? Or do we say, you know what? I want to go deeper. I remember that those before me are a link in that chain of faith. and Some of them pay the ultimate price. So let me then willfully commit to walk faithfully with him. Ronnie Floyd put it like this, you will never be any greater than your own personal walk with Jesus Christ. What goes on within you will determine what goes on around you. 
Holy Anthony wrote this. We pray for patience. God send us tribulation. We pray for submission. God sends suffering. We pray for unselfishness. God asks that we sacrifice. We pray for victory. God allows us to be tempted. We pray for humility. God allows messengers of, messengers of Satan to buffet us. We pray for strength. God reveals our secret fears and innermost weakness. We pray for union with Christ. God severs all natural ties and we walk alone and our friends misunderstand. We pray for love. God sends us peculiar suffering by sending us unlovely people. We pray for a likeness to Jesus. God puts us in the furnace of affliction. Much that perplexes us is but an answer to our prayers. Go back and revisit some of those pictures in history. Some of that challenge and change and corruption and fear and evil and the deeper call to faith. May we not be like the lapsi. They walked away when things got difficult, knowing we don't face anything like they faced. But may we instead be like the confessors and we may not bear the physical scars, but may we bear in our heart and soul the marks of Christ to say, I am crucified with him. He is the king. I will follow and serve and be deeper in my commitments and deeper in my prayer and hold more strength in my faith to follow after him, the anointed, the Christ, the Messiah, the king. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And what did he teach? He taught about the kingdom. Kingdom come will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In 325, Constantine came to faith in Christ. Some people believe he did. Some people believe he didn't. But he proclaimed his own faith in Christ and he did something. He put an end to crucifixion. He said enough. And that cruel, terrible act came to an end. You know, life today has its own challenges. It may not be anything like the persecution we see in the past. But let us hold more fast to our faith and be crucified with Christ, crucified to our own selfishness, crucified to our own greed, crucified to laziness, crucified to just always being focused on self. Simply say, let me decrease and he increase. We close with the 40 martyrs of Sebaste. This was a world-changing event, 320 A.D. Persecution was heavy. Emperor Lucinius ordered 40 Roman soldiers to make sacrifice to the Roman gods. These 40 soldiers in this legion refused. He said, I'll change that. He put them in the middle of a frozen lake, broke the ice, and made them stand there overnight stripped of their clothes. He had other men build fires around the lake. He said, renounce your faith in Christ, make sacrifice to the Roman gods, just compromise and you can come out of the lake. There's a warm fire, dry clothes and a hot meal. All night long, the 40 stayed in the frozen water singing hymns until finally in the morning, one man said, I can't take it anymore. He came out of the water. The emperor thought he had victory. 
And suddenly a Roman soldier on the shoreline said, I'm a believer in Christ. There were 40 men in that lake. Now there are 39. It should be 40 again. That Roman soldier took off his garb, went into that frozen lake, and sang with those other brothers in Christ about their life and faith in Christ. And all 40 died. But their story changed history when people stopped and said, what are we doing? Their story became a song and has been shared now for hundreds of years. Why? Because they held to their ideals, a higher standard, and they walked faithfully after their king, Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. May our commitments be deeper. May we join him in building his kingdom by living lives of integrity, holiness, and obedience unto he who is in the light and calls us to join him in living out the life that is truly life. In Jesus' name.